Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen for you this morning. This is the word of the Lord. When Pentecost Day arrived, they, that's the believers, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind. If you live in Tippecanoe County, you know what that sounds like. The howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting each one of them. Now notice, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. And there were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this sound, there was a crowd of people that gathered around and they were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. And they were surprised, saying, look, aren't all of the people speaking Galileans? Every single one of them. How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own language. And they were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them saying, they're full of wine. But Peter stood with the 11 other apostles and he raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire 
and a cloud of smoke, and the sun will be changed into darkness, and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is God's word for us this morning. Now listen, before I dive into the meaning of Acts chapter 2, I want to talk for just a, just a moment about what it means and what it's always meant in the Bible for how God's spirit comes and creates and fills and begins new life. There is a rhythm and a pattern and a dance to the movement of God's spirit throughout the Bible. There's steps to this dance. Now, Sherry and I recently were at a family wedding and our children have absolutely no problem. They have no shame getting out there on the dance floor. When they hear the music going, especially our son, he, he gets that from his mom, all of the moves that you'll ever see him, that's straight from his mother. But he has no problem running out on that dance floor and just dancing up a storm. I am now, I've reached, now I've reached the age in my life where I now only dance at weddings to like the scripted dances, you know, like the, um, the electric slide or uh, the Cupid shuffle. I rock at the Cupid shuffle, y'all, because there's a, there's, a, there's a pattern to that dance. I know what I'm supposed to do, but if it's just free dance, you know, in my mind, I think I'm going to look one way, but my body looks a whole other way. I say all of that to say There is a step, there's a pattern to the movement of God's spirit and the way that God's spirit creates life throughout the Bible. And I want to help help us see it this morning. And in order to do that, we're going to turn to the very first page of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Now, these words won't be on the screen for you. But Genesis chapter 1 tells the story of creation. And if you know anything about the story of creation, you know that the story of creation happens in six days. So creation happens in six days, and on the seventh day, there's a rest. But there's even a a little bit of a more nuanced pattern to the six-day creation that I want to help us see this morning. And so if you just want to thumb over to your Bible to Genesis 1 or pull it up on your app, this is how it goes. In Genesis chapter 1... Verse uh, 3, the creation of the world begins to happen. The first two verses, God is describing the scene. It's chaos. The earth was formless. There was a void. There was this chaos that was happening. But God's spirit was hovering over the chaos. And as God's spirit begins to interact with the chaos, which happens in verse 3... This is what begins to happen. The spirit, the wind of God moves over that chaos and God speaks into it. In verse 3, God says, let there be light. And there was light. And I'm just going to read the first, first few verses for you. God saw that the light was good and then, check this out, and he separated the light from the darkness separated. Day one of creation, there is a separation, and that separation results in day and night when God's Spirit 
interacts with chaos, the first things God's spirit does is it separates. All right? Day two, same pattern begins to happen. God's spirit moves and interacts with chaos, and there's a separation that happens. And there's the seas and the skies. Day one, separation, day and night. Day two, separation, sea and sky. Day three, once again, separation. And as a result, we get dry land. The first three days of creation, separation, 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 resulting in day and night, sea and sky and dry land. But that's not, the, that's not it. So step one to the dance is there's a separation. Step two, there's a filling. There's a filling. So if you look at days four, five, and six, God's spirit doesn't separate anymore. Now God's spirit fills. And so on day four, God's spirit fills what God has separated and fills it with sun and stars. Day five, God's spirit fills what it had separated and fills it with fish and birds. Day six, God's spirit fills what it had separated and fills the dry land with animals. Two steps to the dance. Separation, filling, and then day seven, we get a blessing. We get a blessing. And that's God's spirit dance of creation. Separation, filling, and blessing. Now listen, if you get nothing out of the sermon, nothing else out of the sermon, get this. You can, you can bank your life on this. This is what God's spirit always does. This is what God's spirit always does. It brings life by creating a separated people who are filled with his spirit in order that they might be a blessing to the world. This is the pattern of God's spirit's movement throughout the Bible, and throughout all of human history. This is what God's Spirit does. It brings life by creating a separated people who are filled with His Spirit in order that they might be a blessing to the world. All right. Now we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 2. So if we understand that that is how the Spirit of God works, and that's what God's Spirit does, here's what I think begins to happen. It begins to change the way that we begin to read and understand what is happening in the verses of Scripture that we just read this morning. So in Acts chapter 2, let me set the scene for you. The whole world is there. The Scripture says that Nations or inhabitants of every nation of the world were present. It says the wind 
starts blowing, which should trigger our memory. That fire begins to fall from heaven. It's like the author of Acts 2 is doing everything in their power to help us to understand that what's happening in this scene is nothing more and nothing less than the recreation of the whole world. Than the recreation of the whole world. And as a result of this whole scene, the story says is that all of the people who were there were, quote, filled. And what were they filled with? Nothing more and nothing less than the Holy Spirit. Now, can I talk for a minute about the Holy Spirit? Sometimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of like the force, like Star Wars or something, like the force is with you. May may the force be with you. The Holy Spirit is not a force. Or sometimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we just think weird, like a ghost how many of you grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit was referred to as the Holy Ghost? I did, as a kid. They sometimes, occasionally, they would refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And I was always like, Ooh. Or sometimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we just think of like erratic behavior and people saying crazy stuff. Like someone will come up to you and they'll say, I just have a word from the Spirit for you, and then they begin to tell you something. And sometimes what they tell you is incredibly helpful, and sometimes what they tell you is nothing more than an ego stroke for them, because they, they just got to say some things. I want to help us this morning to understand who and what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is nothing more or other than the very personal presence of God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about something a little less than God or someone other than God. We're not talking about a force that God has. We are talking about God's empowering personal presence made known to God's people, given and spilled out to God's people. And so here in this scene in Acts chapter 2, when all of the nations of the world are there, when the wind begins to blow in that room and the fire begins to fall and it's like the whole world is being recreated, what happens to the people? They're filled. They're filled. Now what we talked about last week is that what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a chosen stranger is that we live a life and the way we live our life demands an explanation. In other words, followers of Jesus live in such a way that's different than the world around them that their actions don't really make sense. Like, you know, generosity doesn't make a ton of sense in our current climate. Statistics show that Um, that really uh, very few Americans actually give charitable gifts anymore. And those that do give charitable charitable gifts, on average, give 1% of their income. So as followers of Jesus, what we're trying to do is we're trying to base our life around the generosity that we see our God demonstrating. And as a result, we just give. We give. And that makes no sense. And it demands an explanation. Or like forgiveness. 
Forgiveness doesn't make any sense in our world. Uh, Revenge makes a lot of sense in our world. Or kind of like grudge holding makes a lot of sense in our world. So if somebody does something to you, you certainly don't forgive them. You hold that grudge. You hold it against them. They have to like earn it, earn your something back, or they got to earn and and then you, you get to hold the grudge as like kind of like a, a power card over them. But to forgive, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. So to be a follower of Jesus is to live a certain kind of a way that demands an explanation. And what I want to argue today through the lens of Acts chapter 2 is it's really the, oh, the only way that we can live that way is as we're empowered by God's Spirit, as we're filled with the very presence of God. That's the only way that you and I are actually able to become and to live like Jesus Christ. So here, here are these disciples, and they're gathered in this room, And the whole world is being recreated. And they're filled. Now, I'm not 100% sure that I can say this with clarity for all of you in this room this morning. But for many of us, we grew up in an environment and were raised in a culture, particularly in Midwestern America that has taught us something fundamentally true about ourselves that the Bible would 100% disagree with, which is that we are self-reliant, autonomous individuals. We're taught that from an early age, that we're self-reliant, that we're autonomous, and that we're an individual. In other words, we can do it ourselves, by ourselves, for ourselves. Now, in a lot of ways... That, the, 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 the point of that message is something that I want to applaud. I don't ever want to see anybody who enters into their life thinking less of them than what God thinks of them. But what Scripture would say is that, no, that's, that's not really true. You are a void to be filled with something. You're a void to be filled with something. So the story of the creation of humanity is that, is that God reached down into the dust of the earth and sculpted out the image of a person with his hands like, a, like the, the first potter made the image of a person. And then into that dust and ashes, that mound of dirt breathed a breath. And that breath filled that body and life was created. Outside of that breath of God that filled that body, there's, there's no life. So the dirt and the dust and the ashes needed to be filled with the breath of God in order for that thing to come alive. And it's that filling, it's that desire, it's that thirst, it's that hunger that has tripped up humanity for generations and still does today. Now in this story, we know as the readers of the story that these people, these disciples are filled with the Spirit, but the people who are there don't seem to all know that. 
And so as the story goes on, they're all mystified because everybody's talking in all of these languages, but everybody can understand. It doesn't make any sense. It needs an explanation for how that can happen. And the explanation that's given by some of them is they're drunk. So instead of being full of the Spirit, they're full of spirits. And in fact, it's, it's Peter who stands up and says, listen, contrary to what you might think, nobody here is drunk. It's, it's too early in the morning for that. And I've always been so confused by that line of rationale, like maybe check back around four. You know, I mean, is that a valid option? Like, would that then be maybe, okay, maybe that explanation makes sense. He's like, no, it's too early. That can't. That can't happen yet. The point is, is they understand they're full of something, but they're just not sure of what they're full of, that their life has changed in such a way that it needs some kind of an explanation, but they don't quite know how to explain it. They're just full, they're full of, of something. Now, if I could... As your pastor, just allow me for a moment to make a little excursus here on this line of thinking. Because this is one of the things that, that we just have to talk about from time to time. You and I, we might not realize it. But people are always watching. They're just always watching. They're always noticing. If, for those of you who have raised children or are in the process of raising children you realize that people are always watching, especially your kids, because they'll say a word that you didn't know they knew, and they say it the way you said it, which lets you know they learned it from you, and you realize, oh man, they heard that. Or they say a phrase, you're quite certain they don't even know what that phrase means, but they say it kind of with the way that you structure your sentences. They're always watching. They're always noticing. And it's not just true of children. It's, it's true of, of all people. And it's not like we live in some sort of like surveillance society where we're all like snooping on other people. But you notice. You notice when your friends have changed. You notice what's going on in their lives. You just, you notice this stuff. And I've been thinking about this passage of scripture for a while now and I've, I've started to play some kind of like mental games in my mind of, of all of the different things in this culture that fill us or that we can use to fill us and what if that was the explanation for their, their behavior I've been kind of like making that and playing those scenarios out and then translating that into to my life to your life so like let's just imagine the people in your life that you're closest to that you spend the most time with for some of you that's your coworkers or your family or your neighbors your friends you know what if the explanation that they gave for your actions was well he's full of greed he's full of greed and how sad would it be if your children or your grandchildren or your 
your spouse, or your neighbors, how sad would it be if they saw you full of greed but never once saw you full of the Spirit? How sad would that be? Or what if the, the, the thing that really explains your behavior was envy? And so someone would say of you, well, they're just full of envy. And how sad would it be if they saw you lots of times full of envy but never once saw you full of the Spirit? Or, or let's just stick to the text. What, what if what was the way to explain your life was, man, they just really like to drink. They really like alcohol. And how sad would it be if our kids have seen us drunk, but they've never seen us drunk on the Holy Spirit? How sad would that be? What if the lasting impression of our children's minds is not my mom or my dad, or the lasting impression of our friends' minds was not my friend, is someone who I could always sense the power and the presence of the Spirit in their life, but I could smell the alcohol on their breath. How sad would that be? Or what if it's just full of power? Full of power. And if the people that are around us, the way that they explained or justified our actions was to say, I've seen them full of power, but I've never seen them full of the, that kind of Holy Spirit's power. And what makes me pause on this is because here's, here's something that I'm struggling with. I, I hear us say all the time that the way of Jesus, that the life of Jesus is the best kind of life. It's the best way to live life. It's the way to fully love and it's the way to full generosity and it's the way to full peace and the only way to joy. I hear us say those things, but then I don't see us being filled with the very person, the very power, the very presence of Jesus. I see us filling our lives with all sorts of other things, cramming all sorts of other stuff down in there. And if we say that's what we want, if we say, and if you don't want the life of Jesus or if you don't want the way of Jesus, cool, but can we be honest about it? Can we just say, I don't want that? Let's at least start there and have a moment of authentic transparency and say, that's not for me. That's not what I want. But for others of us, I hear us say all the time, that is what I want. I believe that's the best way to live. But then the thing that explains our actions is the thing that fills us. And too often the thing that fills us is not the thing we say we want. We're trapped in this cycle. Stuck in this place where we want to live this kind of way or we say that's what we want. But it, uh, we keep filling our life with things that don't get us there. I've said this so many times. I'll, I think I'll keep saying it for the next 10 years until y'all tell me you're tired of hearing me say it. But one of the greatest spiritual breakthroughs in my spiritual journey came when I heard Dallas Willard preach these words. That if we want the life of Jesus... We have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. 
if we want the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. There's no life without lifestyle. Life is a byproduct of the way we live our life. So here in this passage of Scripture, God's Spirit is doing what God's Spirit does. Separates, fills. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I know I've just kind of had some honest and transparent, a little bit serious moments there with you, but can I share some good news with you this morning? You, as you are, God desires nothing more and nothing less than to fill you with his very spirit. God wants more than anything else to take your life and my life and to breathe his life into it. To be filled with God's spirit is to be filled with the very person, not just the force, the very person of God. So that God, who lives everywhere, God lives not just next to you, but in you and lives through you. You can be, if you can imagine a picture, you can be filled to the brim with God's very spirit. There on that day, this new creation moment happened and it wasn't the heavens and the earth that were recreated. It was people, God's people, who were transformed and changed. And this is the way that God changes the whole world. He takes normal people and he separates them to himself and he fills them with his spirit and blesses them and sends them out into the world in order to transform the world. And it happens one life at a time, one life at a time, one life at a time, one life at a time. In fact, that story is told through the very people who are sitting in the chairs next to you this morning. Somebody that you knew God changed their life and you saw it. And as a result of that, you're here. And it could have been your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your grandma or your grandpa or your friend. But that's why you're in this spot. Because God filled somebody. What if that somebody is you? What if it's you that God can fill or God wants to fill? Can I tell you what that might mean? It might mean that those other things that you're trying to fill your life with have got to fall by the wayside. One more time on this. In Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, there's this beautiful passage of Scripture where Paul begins to talk about his vision for the, for the church. 
He says, you know, make the most of every day, um, which is like some good fortune cookie life advice. And he says, listen, don't, don't get full on wine. Instead, get full on the Spirit. Um, for those of you who know me, you know that I'm like the furthest thing from a legalistic pastor that could be. I got, I don't do that. But as your pastor, and there's some of us in this room, I think we need to consider that we drink too much. Don't get full on wine. Get full on the spirit. For some of us in this room, man, we get full on greed. Don't get full on that. You've been separated by God to be filled by God. For some of us, we get full on envy. Instagram does not help you. Don't get full on that. You've been separated by God to be filled with the very spirit, the very presence of God. For some of us in this room, we get, we get full on power. Don't. Don't. Don't do that. You've been separated by God to be filled with the very presence, the very life of God. And listen, there is no better way of life than the way of a life filled with God's very spirit. Could be you. It could be you. Let's let some of that other stuff go and focus in on being filled with God's presence.